Hello and welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. It is, of course, an episode of The Insight. It's something that people have been asking for. Can we talk about Manchester United? Can we talk about Eric Ten Hag? Well, we have brought two footballing brains together. Call it three if you want to include me. Uh, to talk about Ten Hag and Manchester United. As always, if you listen on Spotify or any other uh, po- podcast platform, got there in the end, make sure you like and also follow the guys as well across social media. Raj, as always, is with us. How are you, bro? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Uh, I think this is a long-anticipated topic, and I think it's a bit of good timing as well with Man United struggling as well. Exactly that. And uh, debuting on the pod uh, is a man that I feel like you definitely will, maybe will know what his real name is, but you will certainly know what his Twitter handle is, because that's how we sort of function as humans now. When people go to me, do you know, I'm like, what's his Twitter handle? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. Uh, Race, uh, otherwise known as Pythagoras in Boots. Hell of a name. How are you, bro? I'm good, bro. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Uh, let's get into it. As always, I'm not going to go and ask you about inverted fullbacks and all of that. I'll let you guys fill in the blanks. Uh, Raj, just go for it. What are your overall thoughts, Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag, on this situation? Well, the first thing that surprises me about Ten Hag so far is the actual playing style he's used for the vast majority of his time at Man United. I thought he was going to be a very rigid coach who had his way and the highway and no other tweaking to his tactics, Uh, similar to Pep and Klopp in their first couple of seasons. Even though they didn't have the perfect personnel, they stuck to the same style of play that they were famous for. Whilst Ten Hag came in, he kind of ditched that possession-based style a bit, Uh, went a bit more of a counter-attacking style last year, got the results which is what Man United needed to get into the top four. And then, um, despite a few more transfers, he's continued a bit more on that vein. Um, and it looks to me like he's got a very player-dependent style of play. So when certain players aren't available, the whole approach kind of goes down the bin a bit. And then he reverts to a bit more of a pragmatic style where he's not using his kind of build-up methods that he likes to use in terms of short build-up, playing through front, out from the back, through midfield and then um, creating combinations that way. Now we're seeing a lot more of a direct approach, and it's especially since the likes of Lissandra and Luke Shaw have been out, the whole builder approach is gone. Uh, we saw against Galatasaray recently, they were creating chances mainly by going direct into the channels to Hoyland, direct to Rashford, um, even not even getting as far as building up to Bruno. They were going even further back from that, they were going longer. And that kind of creates a chaotic style of play where you're inviting teams to hit you end-to-end. You're not arriving in the final third in a settled approach um, because you're building up so quickly from the back. You're then inviting pressure back at you because those balls are high risk, high reward. So sometimes they're not going to come off. And then in Galatasaray, they basically stooped to Galatasaray's level is how I thought it it played out. And they were able to get attacks in on United, even though United did get a few attacks with Hoyland and Rashford. And that kind of summed up the, um, the Ten Hag conundrum for me. Why has he gone away from his style of play so much? Uh, even though he's got a, a counter-attacking set of attackers, he, he still compromises build-up approach, and it surprises me a lot. Oh, oh, a hell of a lot to unpack there. Um, I feel like you've been sat on these thoughts for quite a while. I don't blame you. I've also had similar thoughts. Uh, but before I give my two cents, uh, Rice, you're a Manchester United fan, so... I feel like I didn't actually to be fair, you had no expression while Raj was talking, so I can't even try and lead you down a path and see how far you go. That was um my poker face. But no, honestly, um I think Raj was kind of 
so spot on with a lot of his points that it was hard to disagree with many of it. Um, the only thing I would say is that the sort of difference between the existing players that Ten Hag inherited versus the players that he's brought in. So Raj mentioned that even the players he's brought in seem to not fit into his philosophy. So that's one thing I'd slightly disagree with because I think the decision to bring in Onana, the decision to bring in Lissandro, um, these are attempts to try and bring that Ajax style into United. However, he's messed up with signings like, for example, Casemiro, who's a bit more like that chaotic style, who's not going to be that number six, who's going to build up play from the back. And then he's decided to, for example, make Bruno Fernandes his captain. He's made Rashford the star of his team. These players are counter-attacking players. So there seems to be a complete, I want to try and put it in a better way, but a, a clusterfuck in terms of like the his philosophy versus trying to politically keep certain players happy. And that's what's led to the conundrum at United. And Raj also mentioned that, you know, last year he managed to get results using a counter-attacking style of play. Correct. But United players, United fans didn't want that. You know, we've had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, we've had Jose Mourinho using a very pragmatic style to get results in the here and now, whilst with the team as a performance perspective is looking like dinosaurs. We're seeing teams like City, Liverpool, even the likes of Brighton playing football, which is makes us look like cavemen in terms of the way we're playing football. And Ten Hag was meant to be our answer to that, our sort of choice of a modern manager whose fingers on the pulse, who's going to transform the way United play football. And we haven't seen it. We haven't seen a cohesive style of play. And in terms of possession this season, we're actually like, I think, averaging close to 55% possession in most games. So we're generally dominating. But as soon as you see United play a team that can keep the ball better than us, for example, a Brighton or a Bayern Munich, it drops to like 30%. And even when we played a team like Burnley, Burnley had almost 60% possession. So it's like, as soon as a team wants to play ball, United don't know what to do. They end up just resorting back to that Ali Gunnar Solskjaer style of football where everyone drops deep and it's try and get it to Rashford. And I think the decision to bring in Hoyland, it's, again, it's leaning itself towards counter-attacking style of, of football because he's someone like Raj mentioned, he runs the channels, he's a hold-up type of striker. But I do think Hoyland is being underrated in terms of his technique. I think he can link up play and I think he could be serviced better, a bit like how you see Haaland with City where he's almost uninvolved in the build-up play, but he's just waiting for the right moment to join in. I think Hoyland could do that and perhaps even show better link-up play. But it's just the way United are just set up as a team. If you've got a midfielder of Casemiro, then you bring in, I mean, the signing of Mount. Now, I think Mount's actually played well in the last two games that he's played. But he's not the right type of signing to transform your midfield into a possession-based midfield. So it's like, I have to kind of agree with Raj. It's like a, some of the signings make sense, as in, yeah, that's fitting in old style of football of Ten Hag. And then there's a lot of signings where it's, it's almost like how United would have played under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and targeting players with just big names, which doesn't make any sense. Like Mount with the number seven. It's just so, it's like the commercial and the football, it's all sort of um, congealed together and none of it seems to make sense. I know Manchester United fans right now listening and going, it's the Glazers, but we're not going to go into the Glazers. We're talking tactical, we're talking on the Glazers. Just on the Glazers. And, you know, I know, Raj, you're a Liverpool fan, but you're probably going to agree with this. Like, United fans always use this excuse of, oh, the Glazers are penny pinches and this and that. And, uh, you know, you've probably got it with FSG, like these accusations get thrown around. But United are one of the biggest spending teams in the world. Like, 
regardless if they've penny pinched, let's just say in terms of the training ground or whatever, in terms of the actual funds they've given the manager, there's been more than enough money thrown around to you know create a successful setup. If there's any criticism of them, it's the incompetency, like the people that they've put in charge. So they're very incompetent, but I wouldn't say they're penny pinches. So like Murter and you know Woodward and all of that side of things, definitely absolute shit show. Like they don't know how to run a football club. But have they held back funds to starve United of money for players? Absolutely not, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. The, the whole football operation side of things is is messed up at Manchester United. But what I will say, I think there are a few signs that there is a coaching issue going on at the club as well. And the way I see that is because what I've seen from United in a few games reminds me of England and the Southgate. The way teammates move in possession to create options for the ball carrier, they're sometimes non-existent. You're relying on a worldy pass from Lissandro, a, a chip over the top from Luke Shaw, uh, a drilled pass into feet to Bruno Fernandes. I'm not seeing that movement in the build-up uh, phase in possession. And then I'm not seeing teammates creating space for others. We're seeing the likes at Man City and Liverpool. I saw, for example, this was against Spurs. I saw Joe Gomez moving into midfield purely to create a lane to Mo Salah. And Mo Salah then had runners coming everywhere off him to then feed. I'm not seeing patterns like that at Manchester United. And I think that is what's telling me it's very player quality dependent. Uh, relying on them to bail at bail. Uh, Eric Ten Hag out of the out of trouble rather than coaching just, patterns. Just on that, sorry to interrupt you, Raj. I think the problem is that with Klopp, with Pep, their star players are almost like his coaches on the pitch or very coachable. Like they're receptive to his methods and they're kind of when players join the team, they look to those players as the players to learn from. So let's just say like a, a Rodri or a Kevin De Bruyne or a um, City, someone like Haaland. N- you wouldn't look at him as a pet player, would you? But he's probably, obviously, he's gone to Dortmund, which was a good move in terms of playing in a possession style football. So he's receptive in terms of that style of football. Then he's come in and then he's got players that he can look at, like your De Bruyne's, your Rodri's, um, your John Stones, possession-based footballers and Gundogan. And then, so they just fit into, they end up learning how to play that style of football. At United, like I mentioned, like he's made Rashford his star player, he's made Bruno Fernandes his captain. It's like he's, his, his icons of the team, the ones that are meant to follow his philosophy, are the complete opposite to his philosophy. Mm. So, so it creates a very toxic culture because you can just imagine in training when he, he's probably gone in trying to teach them how to play possession football and your star players can't really do it. And then when they go into the games, they can't do it either. And they, they end up resorting back to their natural style of play. The coach yeah. almost loses authority and his ability to implement his principles on the, on the team. It's interesting you mentioned those two names, Bruno and Rashford. Because actually, I see a problem out of possession as well with those two. And I don't think Ten Hag's actually accommodated them very well. I think Bruno's given almost that lead lead, lead responsibility in the press. The press is part of the front too. And he's way too wild with his pressing for that. He doesn't really read passing lanes that well like a Martin Odegaard uh, or a Sabozlai out of possession. He's not that kind of brain. So he could give him a bit more of a restricted role. We've never seen that. Against Bayern Munich, he was up there trying to lead the press and Bayern were just playing around him. And the same with Rashford. He's not... That out ball to the fullback against Manchester United is always on because Rashford is not reading when to go and when to stay a bit deeper and cover that lane off. Um, so those are the two other things I spotted with Ten Hag where he hasn't accommodated them uh, in the pressing structure. 
I do also think with the Bruno Fernandes issue in particular, um, you both said there, like, you, your captain is someone who's extremely emotional. And so what you often find is United might fall a goal behind in a situation where actually things were going okay. And this is where the constant mention of character comes in. But then your skipper has decided, I'm just going to press however I want for the next couple of minutes because I just want to win the ball back ASAP and it'll get the fans going again. And I hate to say it, but like looking from the outside, that's a very small club-like mentality. Like Conor Gallagher at Crystal Palace, for example, they they go behind, Conor Gallagher sprints around for two, three minutes, the fans get riled up, something happens. It's not happening like that at United. There's no riling up. Bruno goes to close the ball down, Casemiro's following him in, midfielders are running off the pair of them into the penalty area. The Galatasaray goal springs to mind where um, I think two midfield, two attacking players run beyond Casemiro and he's running towards the Galatasaray goal while Galatasaray in possession. Um, and just those sort of moments is where I go, yes, there is an argument to say um, players are out of form, players are low on confidence. And yes, Ten Hag and Manchester United have had a very good run of form when Rashford had that purple patch. But I was just saying to Raj before we started recording, apart from that purple patch, I don't see how Manchester United score goals. And maybe that's like some element of bias in me or potentially against Manchester United. But I mean, you're nodding, so I, I'm assuming you agree. I mean, the stats back you up. Like United are 10th, I think, in the league for XG creation and also, I think, 10th in the league for chances against them. So, you know, they're down with like the, the Brent... Well, Brentford are a decent team, but what I mean is like the way behind mm. your top possession teams. Like, for example, Liverpool, I think they're second in the league for chance creation. And this was a team that was being written off by people. Oh, Klopp's going into his Arsene Wenger phase or whatever. But you could see that the signings he brought in uh, is a very attacking preseason for Liverpool. They were conceding like five goals, but they were like scoring a lot the other way. And they've taken that into the season. And you can just tell the football Liverpool are playing in possession, it's elite. Like the angles they're making, the, you know, it, it's vibrant. Like the fans are loving it. It's just obviously defensively, there may be some question marks as the season progresses. But on the board, there's definitely a lot going for them. And there's a zip to their play. There's no zip to United's play. There's no mm. structure to it. And with, for example, Anthony uh, going out of the picture as well. Like As much as Anthony was, you know, I don't think he's been great for United at all. But there was a structure in terms of him building up the play and then it switching out to Rashford when it's sort of like a through ball on, etc. But Anthony's gone. So it's like they almost, they don't know what to do in terms of the right flank. And the left flank with Luke Shaw out, there's no sort of build-up phase there either. So, I mean, they've gone with this Amrabat inverting from left-back thing, but I don't know how sustainable that is because it just seems like a made-up tactic just to yeah. be, oh, it's trendy to have inverted fullbacks. Let me just stick a... CDM in there and stuff. And do you so the thing is, Amrabat's been that bad at it, but it just seems like a made-up copycat tactic to me. It's, it's, I just think, like, in, you put a, a right-footed central midfielder at left-back to play as an inverted central midfielder I mean, who you bought... Just interrupt you, Nube, because you've just triggered my mind. You know, <laughs> West Germany did it with Paul Breitner, so he was like a, a right-footed centre-mid. He became a box-to-box -box midfielder. And he became one of the world's greatest ever left backs at doing it, but <laughs> but but that, they did that on purpose. This just feels like they just made it up as they as they went along. Yeah, that's. I just think it's really worrying that Manchester United bringing a midfielder to repair the midfield and end up playing left back to repair a left back position, where I actually think like 
I personally, I think Manchester United don't even utilise their fullbacks the way other teams do. So to some extent, I'm actually saying you could chuck anyone in there just to do it. That's what you've done with Amrabat. You've said to Amrabat, go and just do a shift at left back. So why don't you stick him into midfield, um, give Casemiro some support because I don't know what's going on with him, uh, and then find a way to plug the gap at left back, essentially. Because if you're willing to play uh, a sort of, uh, I, I guess, an aggressive holding midfielder at left back, you could just play a passive centre-back at left back. <laughs> like you, there, is, there is ways around it that would require... Like, it's sort of like where City played Fabian Delph at left back. Mm-hmm. Actually, he, was, he wasn't aggressive enough to play left back, but in possession, he was good enough and, and sort of did the, the job. Um, I don't want to just keep berating Ten Hag. Um, it, what are the solutions at this point, or, or, or is there anything we can see where we go? Actually, you know what? I've seen this, and if we if they carry on doing this, maybe that's the the route out. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'll just quickly go first before I forget my point. So, <laughs> in a shift to a four four two diamond at times with United, and we've seen, um, for example, Hannibal, and uh, we've seen Mount as these box to box side lateral midfielders, and I think that's kind of worked pretty well so in terms of the the possession game of United has had a bit more zip in these past few games than I've seen from the start of the season and Mount's actually thriving a bit in this role because he's not having to be the register anymore someone that's being asked to control the game he hasn't got that in his locker he's not a Christian Eriksen he hasn't got a natural sense of you know like Raj you mentioned players that just know when to move off the ball to get into space to create these network of passes. Mount isn't that type of player, but in this box-to-box role, it's allowing him to sort of go up and down in that sort of left half space. And he's doing quite well in it. And Hannibal, similarly, he's got the legs up and down, has a little bit of like good one-touch, two-touch passing. And it's created a bit more sort of angles for United. You're seeing a bit more triangles in that. The good thing also is it moves Bruno into number 10 and it moves Rashford away from the left flank where he never tracks back. So he's playing more as a sort of left-sided striker. So again, it gives United that sort of flexibility with Rashford that he can kind of just be lazy up front if he needs to be. And that's okay. But the issue with this formation is any any team that plays with a diamond, and this is whether you're playing FIFA online or whatever, your fullbacks are then the main source of width and they need to be top, top quality going forwards and top, top quality going back. And you've got bloody Amrabat, who's a right-footed going in. So again, there's no natural left-footed width to put crossing from that left side. And then you've got Dalla, who I absolutely, I can't stand him. Like, I think he's one of the softest players I've ever seen play for United. And people always say, oh, well, he's going forwards, he's better than Juan Bissaka. But how many like assists has he generated going forwards? And how many goals has he actually scored? And then defensively, he's, he's very weak. Now, he did well against Saka in the game against Arsenal. But that was because it was, a, it was a quirk in terms of he's playing at left back and Saka was cutting in. And because he's right footed, we've seen it with Arbeloa for Liverpool and players like that. It kind of just suited him. So all he had to do was mm. sit back and just follow Saka going in. And that suited him. But when he's playing on the right back position, it requires a lot more thought for him. He has to really judge his angles and etc. when he's going to go for a tackle and his positional play because he has to bomb on and then come back. And it messes with his head and, he does, and he's too weak as well in the shoulder to shoulder challenge. So... It's a, I like the system, but we haven't got the fullbacks for it. So again, I can see shortcomings there as well. Yeah, I like the idea of the system. I'd probably tweak it slightly to get rid of that width problem. I'd probably dip into my Diego Simeone bag and go for a flat four four two. I'd then have Garnacho providing the width from the left, Mount tucking in from the right, and then you still have at least a bit of width from Dallo bombing on. 
uh, and then still play that pivot of uh, a, a Mino or a, um, a, a Hannibal alongside Casemiro, then you can relieve Casemiro of that build-up responsibility. And then, as you said, great point about the Rashford up top. Similar to Kylian Mbappe when he plays in the two-striker system, you give him that rest off the ball because he's got Hoyland next to him. He's going to do all the dog work for him. So that is... Oh, but then I'm forgetting Bruno. That is the one issue of it. I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting Bruno. So maybe... The only I don't think you can fit Bruno and Mount into the same team. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. So you I'm sold it to me, right? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I might have to ditch. I, I might have to ditch Mount. Uh, Mount, even though he's been playing decently, and put Bruno tucking in from the right. I actually just on the tucking in from the right point. I actually think Bruno, when he moved out to the right mm. last game, he actually looked kind of dangerous. Like he was picking the ball up in such dangerous areas. Like some of his decision making was really poor. But I think it was just like his head had gone from the game and he was just not concentrating. But in terms of the positions he was taking up and the way they were finding him, like he looked dangerous there. Like he looked a lot more dangerous there than, for example, a Palestri ever would. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think Bruno going out wide might be might be an option in terms of how they restructure this team going forward. So I think it just comes full circle to the points we were making at the start that there's a mixed bag of profiles in the team. And so where you've just built a 4-4-2 and gone, but I'm going to lose a £60 million number seven and he's going to have to be on the bench. That's probably not going to work. And I'm going to have to play him. I'm attacking, attacking, or let's say creative player at right midfield. In the other system in a diamond, you don't have a left back uh, and you don't have a right back that you trust. And so then you go, okay. And then I guess that's where Manchester United fans will say, yeah, but then that's why we need to spend more money to fill these gaps. I just think you end up plunging money into a dark hole and when Ten Hag eventually decides to go, you have all these players to ship off and the cycle just continues and continues and continues. And that's where I look at Ten Hag and I say, and it's probably the theme of this episode, to be honest, I look at Ten Hag and say, the top coaches find solutions. And I don't feel like he's finding solutions. Uh, if anything, I feel like every time I watch Manchester United, I'm just seeing more problems. And then I, I just go, the Galatasaray game is a brilliant example. It's a game Manchester United lost. Obviously, there was a red card, et cetera, et cetera. Both of Manchester United goals come on the counter-attack against Galatasaray. Galatasaray played the football. And then I'm going, that can't happen against Turkey, a side playing in Turkey. No disrespect to Turkish football at all, because their fans will definitely come after us. But um, I, I that's just what, that's feel... what we want. That's what we want for the visa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm at a loss personally. I don't know where the next step is and how Manchester United find solutions. Um as always, before we let you go, I'll let you have some parting thoughts. We'll start with Raj. Yeah, so I think there are things that Ten Hag could probably do to modify their approach, especially whilst he's got those injured players. But I think overall, I think there's got to be a change from the top as well. There's got to be some kind of system in place to recruit the players that Ten Hag wants uh, in terms of style of play, not necessarily the players he wants, because we know he's got a bit of a scouting issue in that regard. We need someone giving him direction from the top um, because at the end of the day, this is how I look at it. Managers have so much time to, uh, spent on preparing their team, coaching their team, analysing the matches afterwards. How do they even have time to scout on top of that? They don't. Physically, they don't. Otherwise, one area of your skill set is going to decline. You, it, it's the same as, as in anyone's life. You need delegation there, and that's not happening. And I think that's the key for restoring Manchester United back to the top. I think, um, Nubed, you touched upon the fact that um, if Ten Hag goes, then it's just a bunch of players there that the next manager may not want. And I think it comes down to the director of football thing, which United have never really 
sorted. It's always, if they have sort of put people in those type of roles, it's been people that are close to the Glazers rather than people that actually know football. And I think something that's never really touched upon is people that are connected to Sir Alex. He was a great manager, but all the players that played under him never really developed great football minds. And yet, yet they're the ones that seem to have got the sort of important jobs within the running of Manchester United. And that's why the the brains within uh, within Manchester United, they're not elite. They don't understand top-level football like the way you know your Guardiola disciples would understand it. And United are missing that element. So that one, they need to sort out the, that structure in terms of above the manager and get the right football brains within it. With regards to Ten Hag and how he survives this season, I think, you know, I mentioned on Twitter that um, does he deserve another season? I said only if he can prove to the, and this is the problem, who's the director of football? If he had a director of football that was there who was competent and Ten Hag went to him, look, I know I've cocked up on this, this, that, but I've got a plan that next year I've, I've seen what the issues are and I want to sort it. If he could do that and we could verify that, yeah, yeah, this plan seems good, I'd say, okay, give him another season. But unless he's got that sort of plan in mind, he may have to go for the in order for the team to progress. Just final parting shot is like in terms of the, the diamond, if someone like Regulian comes back or Luke Shaw comes back, that's fine. They, they can potentially so, sort out that left flank issue with that, that those two providing the width. The issue is on the right side. I don't rate Dalo and Juan Bissaka is a defensive right back. So it may be that they sign like a like a Fresnado or someone uh, in January or a Frimpong to. So if you got, uh, just stick with a flipping system. So if you've got that four four two diamond and it does seem to make sense because it puts Rashford in his best position, it puts Bruno in his best position, Hoyland can play in his best position. puts That's Mount's best position as well. So almost five of your current star players kind of suit that system. So just all you need to do is buy the right player or even, like you mentioned, find a solution. Is there someone in the academy you can potentially use as a bombing on right back that's better than Dalo? Or even a main who's being suggested as a midfielder, could he be converted into a right back possibly? I'm just thinking outside the box. Is there something you can do to make that diamond work and stick to it? Because chopping and changing formations and systems, and you know, he's going to be out of a job by the end of the season. All right. Uh, well, if you're listening, then... Um... I apologise if your name is Diego Tallo. Um, but for everyone else listening, uh, make sure you follow the guys on social media and, of course, follow the No Ratings pod. Uh, subscribe if you're new here. And we'll see you next time.